Well, hello and welcome back to Kindled. This is the beginning of a new season. This is our, I cannot even believe it, our sixth season. That is crazy. That's truly crazy. Um, I'm so excited for what we have this year. Uh, I'm, I've never, I've never felt more like sure about what I'm doing with this podcast and more confident that it's where God would have me. I mean, I started it five years ago. Um, it'll be six years in February. And I, it's just, it's really cool to see how it's grown. It has not been some overnight success story. It has been long, faithful, painful years. It has been slow and steady growth. It has waxed and waned. It has, you know, I've been through multiple children in different seasons through all of that. And um, yeah, it's just really cool to see what he's doing, continuing to do with it. And um, I was telling some friends today, it's funny because I kind of feel like he delayed success so that because I needed to mature, like I needed to grow wiser before he wanted me to, you know, do more. Um, I feel like there was some throttling, some limiting, some holding back even for years, which I'm now on the flip side, so grateful for because it's like, oh, praise God, you know, I've had to delete episodes. I've had to take things away that were a result of, you know, less discernment than I have now or less wisdom or less um, biblical clarity, you know? And so, and my friend was like, you know, and you'll probably be deleting more episodes in the future as you grow. And I just was like, yeah, you know, maybe so. Um, But it's been cool to see how God has grown me, God has grown this platform, um, has changed my, you know, desires for what I cover here, and I think really given me a niche. So anyway, like, this is not all about that. We're going to have, you know, the conversation here with uh, Cheryl, who came out of the LDS Latter-day, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Church, Um, but that conversation was born out of uh, really me noticing some trends on Instagram that so many influencers were Mormon. And I, I guess I just had not put two and two together previously. I, I think a lot of people knew that. Um, it's not news. There are articles out there about it. There's tons of articles. If you Google it, you will find, I mean, Salon and Vogue and, you know, whatever, people, those types of magazines and and outlets media outlets have covered that topic so it's not as though I discovered it I just didn't realize it and so once I did I started putting these things together and realized like wow I follow a ton of people that I don't even realize how the theology is impacting you know what they share how they share why they're sharing and I feel like that's something that Christians should know I feel like that's important um and I will talk, Cheryl and I get in, in into that topic in our conversation, but, um, you know, it's just fascinating. It's really fascinating. And so I started having that conversation on Instagram and a lot of people found that very interesting and were like blown away by and shocked by how many people they followed that were in the LDS church. And, um, and so we've just been having that conversation really exclusively on Instagram for a week or so. And, um, you know, I, I've had so many great conversations in DMs with uh, both current members of the LDS Church, uh, those who have left, those who have family who is still in it, um, so many. I mean, thousands and thousands. I've, I, I share this on Instagram, but I've never had the kind of response, like literally no topic I've ever covered in the probably six and a half years or so that I've had this account 
no topic has garnered that much engagement and reaction and response and questions and, you know, wanting people really wanting to talk about it. Because I think, um, a lot of us, a lot of people are like me and just maybe did not really put it together, did not realize. Um, and you'll, you'll hear why, uh, more later in this episode, actually probably in part two of this episode uh, or of this conversation with Cheryl. But, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. And, uh, you know, I want to make it clear at the outset of this this two-part conversation with Cheryl, uh, the heart here is to inform and educate and sharpen believers. My audience is Christians. Um, that's who listens to this podcast. It's obviously all about, um, you know, biblical truth and covering theological, political, cultural topics from my biblical worldview. And so that is who listens. Um my heart and the aim is that this would be a place, this would be more of a, a discipleship place, you know, a place that you come to be sharpened to grow in your wisdom and discernment and, and knowledge and, and to get some solid analysis of things that are going on in culture or of political issues like we've always covered um, and even topical conversations like we've been having with biblical counseling and then be more equipped and more skilled and able to reach the lost. So this is not an evangelistic podcast. It's not one that um, typically people are sending to those who are not Christians, although I'm sure there are people who are not Christians that listen. But that's the that's the aim. That's the goal. That's the heart behind it. That's always been the goal. That's always been the intent. I think that this conversation has brought up some tensions for people of like, well, is it helpful to talk about this on social media? And I think the answer for me um, and my community is yes. Now, maybe it isn't for you on your personal page, but um, my audience is uh, is overwhelmingly professing believers, and they, um, you know, I, I think I I think about how quickly false teachings seep into the church because Christians are just not aware, and they haven't been educated, and they haven't been sharpened, and they haven't been kind of um, prompted or warned about things that are out there in the world that are that are attempting, that are attractive, that are, you know, that sell. Uh, that happened to me with the Enneagram, which I've shared many times on this on this podcast, that, you know, when my church introduced it, I had never heard of it. I had no context for it. And so I just kind of bought hook, line, and sinker everything they told me. And if I had been exposed to this conversation around, well, there's actually some, some concerns. You know, there's, there's actually, like, it's not all that, you know, it's not all roses and bubblegum whatever it's it's not all positive there's some things that are very um concerning i think that i would have approached that whole thing so differently and so that is the aim always of this show is to um help you grow in your discernment help you be built up in your faith so that we can all grow to maturity to the full stature of christ as we are um, being sanctified by the holy spirit and so this is just one small, small way that I hope to contribute to that um, in your own growth in your your life. So anyway, that's kind of my precursor to it. Um, it is not at all, at all, meant as a, a bashing or a criticizing of people who are truly uh, lost, people who are, um, you know, unaware of the things that they believe that they that there are pieces missing, you know, from from the Bible that there are pieces added, um, that is the heart behind this conversation and really every conversation. So um, 
yeah, I think that's it in the way of introduction. It's kind of a long introduction, but it's the season opener. Um, the only other thing I'll say is that I am for the month of September doing another reviews uh, giveaway. So that means if you leave a rating and review for Kindled on either the Apple Podcast app or on Spotify, and you send me a screenshot of your review, I am giving away $100 to Crossway, which has amazing books, solid resources. It has my favorite Bible curriculum, the biggest story that I just shared about on Instagram. I'm giving away $100 and some merch from my shop uh, at kindledpodcast.com. So I've got coffee mugs over there, shirts, all that kind of thing, those kinds of things. And all you have to do is DM me on Instagram at Haley.Kindled or email me at Haley, H-A-L-E-Y, at kindledpodcast.com a screenshot of your review that you left on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Now, Apple Podcasts, you can leave both a star rating and a review. It has to be a five-star rating and whatever your words are of review. And then on Spotify, you're only allowed to leave stars. They don't actually have a way for you to leave any sort of, you know, text review. So that does count, though. Um, And if you leave both, uh, send me both, then you will get two entries for that giveaway. And I shared on Instagram today that last month I did this, but I only had five people enter. Um, And so the chances of winning were very, very high. Uh, I don't know that it'll be the same this month, but just want to let you guys know to do that. um, Pause the show right now, go do it and um, then come back and press play. It'll take you less than a minute to get that submitted. Um, And if you're on Android and you're having trouble, I have heard that Spotify is easier for Android users. I I am not 100% sure how that works with the Apple Podcast app because I don't have Android, but um, either one of those apps, you can leave a review and it counts, okay? So do that, send me a screenshot and I will enter you for the $100 giveaway to Crossway and some free Kindled merch. Okay, with that, here is my conversation with Cheryl. All right, so today on Kindled, I am chatting with Cheryl Van Wagenen. Cheryl, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Um, We connected through social media. Um, You shared your testimony with me of coming out of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And um, I was just uh, really struck by your testimony, your words, your, you know, your, your story. And I wanted to share that with my listeners and you are um, boldly doing that today. So thank you for, thank you for doing that. You're welcome. Thank you. So starting out, you know, I think it would be helpful to kind of hear, um, starting with your, your upbringing, your childhood, like, what was that like? Did you grow up in the LDS church? All of that. So let's start there. What, what was your childhood like? Uh, I had a really fun childhood. My my father was in the Navy, so we moved around a lot. And I was the youngest. I have two older brothers and an older sister. And for them, I think it was a little bit harder, but I, I loved it. It was an adventure to me. My parents were both raised LDS. They We come from pioneer stock. Uh, they Yeah, they came across the prairies. One of the biggest painters in the LDS church that painted the uh, the pioneer pictures, he was one of our ancestors. And so they were both raised that way and they stayed in the church together until I was about three. And then there, I, I don't know all the details, but there a few things happen in the ward. The ward is the na- what they call the congregation for each neighborhood. And something happened in the neighborhood in the ward and they kind of distanced themselves. They never left the church, but 
they call that in the church, they call it inactive when you don't go, but you haven't left officially. Mm -hmm. So we were inactive most of my childhood. My dad has a mental illness from uh, Vietnam and it showed up when I was about 10. And so he needed to go into a hospital for a little while. And a bishop in the area reached out to my family and was there for them. And that's kind of when we started going back to church. But I grew up most of my childhood not going to church at all. But my mom was always reading to us from the Bible. We were always praying as a family. We had, uh, we, we just, we really had God in our home. And it was very important to me. I felt as a child very, very close to God. And I always wanted to do what was right. I always wanted to know what was true. And I always had a questioning spirit. So I always really questioned everything. When when we started going back to church, the missionaries came and taught with us. And I think I was hard on them. They probably didn't like me very much. A little, eleven. I think I was maybe 11 by then, but it was 10 or 11. And I kept just asking them questions. Well, what about this person? Well, what about this person? Because I just didn't understand why only some people could go to, to the highest level of, of heaven and and things like that. But uh, then we moved to Utah when my dad retired. And so from then on, uh, our family has been active in the LDS church. I want to interrupt this episode to tell you about one of our sponsors, Fiercely Penned Journals. These are journals for Christian moms and their kids made by a Christian mom and marriage and family therapist. These journals go beyond just a book and are made with this purpose in mind to help moms cultivate a healthy mind and spirit through the practice of journaling by building discipline, helping you slow down, recognizing and acknowledging God's work in your life through answered prayer requests, and so much more. Each journal features several page options, including blank pages, lined pages, and prompted pages. So prayer prompts, motherhood, gratitude, that sort of thing. All the journals are repurposed from old hardcover books, which is so cool, and then hand-painted and hand-bound, creating a one-of-a-kind journal for a one-of-a-kind mom or daughter. Sons too. My girls are absolutely journalers. They actually, we let them stay up five minutes at bedtime every single night to write in their journals and they love doing that. So they are going to love these journals. They're so cute. And I just like that there is some structure to it. So it gives kids ideas and also helps them recognize that they can pray for things and then look for how God will work in their life. These are super cool. Check them out at fiercelypend.com and use the coupon code KINDLED15 for 15% off your purchase. Again, that's fiercelypend.com, KINDLED15 for 15% off. So you said you felt close to God. Um, mm-hmm. Were there ever times that you, you know, questioned what your parents believed or did you feel like your questions got answered and you kind of just accepted it as fact? I I never questioned God or anything at all as a child. As we were learning about the LDS church a little bit, I, I questioned a lot of it um, with the missionaries. But I just kind of was, well, whatever, I guess this is what they used to be. And I'll just trust that this is right. But I never really connected to it until high school. And in high school, I had had a few friends die. And I went, a couple of other friends invited me to go to early morning seminary. So here in Utah, most kids go to seminary. So it's an hour a day in in junior high and high school where they leave the school building and right off of the school grounds, there's a church building or some little room that they can go and have an hour of church study. 
And so most of them get to do it during the school day if they live in Utah. But I, but my, a couple of my friends did early morning anyway, because they had too many classes during the day. They invited me to go. And I went and I had an amazing teacher who I really related to. She was a mountain climber. She had climbed Kilimanjaro, which was something I wanted to do when I was younger. And the kids were really nice. And that was something I hadn't experienced when we first moved to Utah. The kids were really mean to me when we first moved here. And so through that class, I really started embracing the church. And so from then on, um, it was kind of a thing that I finally accepted. But for the first few years, I just kind of sat back and kind of just trusted my parents. And then in junior high, I was very rebellious against it. I didn't believe in any of it. Hmm. Okay. Man, hearing about that, how that's set up in the middle of the school day, you know, take an hour of your school day to go and learn at seminary, I mean, about your faith. I just have to say that's that's pretty impressive. And that is super effective and very mm-hmm. smart of the LDS church to to have that built in because um, as you and I know, I mean, I, you're a homeschooling mom now, but like we know that worldview is everything. And yeah. Children, I mean, they are obviously sponges, as we all know, especially before the age of 10. You know, their worldview, I've heard uh, statistically, their worldview is formed by the age of 10. Um, for the most part, it's not that, you know, we, you and I both know that you, you got saved as an adult. So it's not like you can't ever break out of that statistic. But, um, but just that that foundation is so important. It makes me wish that, you know, Christians did the same thing in, um, yeah. you know, for their kids. And, and anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. But that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's a thorough education. Absolutely. So then yeah. you said you started to kind of push back against that in high school. And what was that just like kind of regular high school rebellion or where was that coming from? Oh, no, in junior high. Oh, junior that high. Was, that was because when I when we moved to Utah, I had never been made fun of in my life. And once I was in sixth grade here, I was made fun of every day. Mm. And the there were kind of like the the kids that had known each other their whole life. And I was the new girl and I had brown hair instead of blonde hair. And I had a couple of friends that were there. My best friend at the time, she was Episcopalian and she also was new. And then there were a couple of other kids that were Greek Orthodox. And I think the other one was Jewish. And then a couple that didn't have any religion at all. And so they were all the ones that were made fun of. So we banded together mm-hmm. and I just kind of made friends with the kids that were also the outcasts. And when we went to junior high school, we were all skateboarders and they all got into drugs. Thankfully, I have always been somebody that didn't do something just because people told me to. And so I never did drugs, but they, they were just, they were really rebellious. And I just kind of went along with that flow because the other kids that were LDS, the ones that were religious were not nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thankfully that changed in high school because I went to a high school where I didn't know anybody. I wanted to start over because I didn't like the life I was leaving, uh, living, but, uh, and then I actually made a lot of friends through seminary and through other things and, and had a great experience in high school, but that's, that's basically why I was rebellious. Gotcha. Okay. So high school was different. You were getting more solidified in your faith. Um, yeah. your friendships had something to do with that. Uh, and where, you know, where does your story start to change or where do you start to ask questions of your faith? Okay. I, yeah, I didn't really, at that point, once I was in high school, I didn't ask any questions. I just believed everything. And I, of course, didn't know a lot of hard things and a lot of, um, a lot of the more controversial things. I did know about polygamy because we come from a polygamist event, uh, just back a few generations, 
but I didn't know very much about it. And so I didn't really question very many things. A few years after high school, I actually ended up getting married to a non-member. And I was married to him for only three years before we got divorced. But he, he was, he had, he had, he had a half and half. One parent was LDS, one wasn't. And so he wasn't. So I didn't go to church during that time because I hated going alone. And it was during that time that I had my first questions. And that was just because I learned about uh, a few things in church history that I didn't know about. One was a thing called Mountain Meadows Massacre, where a bunch of people coming from, I believe it was Kansas, but I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, they they were coming through and they killed everybody except for the children under eight years old mm. and then took them back and were raising them in LDS families until I believe the families came and got them. That was when I learned about that. And so I started to question, well, wait, I, there's things I don't know about our history, but I kind of pushed it under the rug a little bit. When I got divorced, I moved back in with my parents and the bishop in that ward was also very helpful with helping me get through the feelings that I had from having a failed marriage so young and so fast. And, um, and then I just, I kind of slowly got back into going to church and then I married my husband that I've been married to now for almost 20 years. And he's very, he was raised very, very devout. And so I had a couple of questions, but that was the first time I ever questioned was just during that time, since I wasn't going to church, I started hearing a few things. Okay. So then you get remarried and you marry someone who has been raised about LDS. And so yes. that probably really re- reinvigorates your faith, right? You're excited. I, I would imagine to have someone to go to church with again, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So where do we go from there? Yeah. So he, his family is high up in the church. His mom has, has uh, been on the board with the apostles. They're best friends with some of the highest up apostles. And so what's funny is I was always kind of more religious than my husband, Hmm. but he, he always had a very strong testimony, never really questioned anything. And so as we got married and I started raising our children, we just were, we really were rock solid. I, I definitely had some questions, some things that didn't make sense to me or some things that I had issues with, but I just really believed it. I, I believed we had the full truth and just did almost everything I needed to do. I never felt good enough because I never did it perfectly. Sometimes I didn't feel like going to church and we wouldn't go. Some I, They have a thing called visiting teaching that the women were paired up with another woman and we have to visit a few women and, and talk to them once a month. And I didn't ever like doing that because it felt forced to me. Mm-hmm. And so I always felt bad that I didn't love that. But other than that, I just was really doing everything else I had to do. Okay. And so you're marrying into, you know, a high up family. So you mentioned something that I do want to give a little bit of clarity to before okay. we keep going. You mentioned um that his family was close to apostles. So people yes. may be listening going, what do you mean apostles? Yeah, what what does that, that mean? Yeah. So could you explain the function of apostles in the LDS church? Yes. Okay. So the LDS church teaches that there is still a living prophet on earth. And the prophet is the highest up guy. And then he has two counselors, which are, uh, they also sometimes call them president. I don't, I'm, I've never been sure why, but mm-hmm. they have the three top that they call the first presidency. 
Then there are 12 more men that are also given the title of apostle. So these men are supposed to kind of have the role of Jesus's disciples, that they're, they're the highest up men in the church. They, they make the decisions. They, um, I used to believe that they talked to Jesus because they would say things that made it sound like they did. Recently, Mm -hmm. I saw something where somebody asked one of them directly, have you seen Jesus? And he said, no, none of us have seen Jesus. And that shocked me, but I, I don't know how many people actually know he admitted that, but I, maybe most people maybe realize that they don't and that they're, um, they think it comes from revelation, but those guys are at the top. And then there's 70 more men underneath that, that are called the quorum of the 70 that are put in charge of different areas of the church. It's a very organized church. They do that so well. And so, yeah, so there's the 70, then the 12, then the three at the top. When the prophet dies, there's always a line of succession. So the first counselor now is a man named Dallin H. Oaks. He will become prophet when Russell M. Nelson dies. And then the next guy from the 12 moves up a guy and then they'll call somebody else into the 12. So it just mm-hmm. goes like a well-oiled machine. Right. Right. That line of succession is there. And, um, and I think what's important to mention about, you know, the profit and the role they play is, as you said, you know, they, they are the decision maker. They are essentially speaking for God, but yes. the reason that matters so much in this conversation is that, um, you know, the church of Latter-day Saints, doesn't believe that ultimately what what that means is that scripture isn't closed. We have sort of this open canon in a sense, because uh, an apostle who is speaking, just like we as Christians, you know, understand Paul, the apostle was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He um, had divine inspiration, revelation from the Holy Spirit. So he wrote books of scripture, which are in the canon. In the same way, those apostles are sharing words, teachings, ideas, beliefs, um, convictions, things, uh, giving, giving from on high, right. Like directives and guidance, and they can change things. They can say in the 1970s, Hey, African-Americans are now allowed to be part of the church, right? Because I got a revelation from Jesus Christ that he wants that to change now, you know? And so there's this kind of idea that like their word is on par with the scriptures. Would you say that is accurate? Yes. They, they've even said that it, the voice coming from God or from one of his servants, it's the same. They use that kind of a verbiage with it. And so now when, when people have problems with something that one of them has done, then they'll say, well, sometimes they're acting as a man, but then mm-hmm. there's never any clarification really of when they're speaking as a prophet or an apostle and when they're speaking as a man until after the fact. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just have to take everything that they say mm-hmm. as being prophetic and right. unless you hear otherwise. Right. Which is obviously we can hopefully I'll see the danger of that, you know, um, retroactively coming back and being like, oh, hey, if the reaction was poor or if I Mm -hmm. messed up or if I abused someone or whatever, if I'm found out, I can say, oh, I was acting as a man. Um, While while that act is being perpetrated, while that is being carried out, the person has to assume you are speaking as God, you are acting as, you know, as God's representative. And so you have authority over me. You have the spiritual authority that can even contradict scripture right? Yeah. Yes. And that's, and it's a huge thing. And they even, they even use the words, it's an ongoing restoration. Mm -hmm. And in the nineties, there were, there was a lot of talk about the restorations over. We're just waiting for Jesus. But now the current prophet has changed a lot of things while he's been in office. And so they talk about the ongoing restoration all the time. So that is the open canon thing. It's not only just for scripture, but also just for revelation of what will come next. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of examples of what you just said 
even in the early 2000s, I cannot remember the year, but I believe it was around 2014. But they they had said that people that children that had LGBTQ parents could not be baptized until a certain age. And there was a big up, uh, just a lot of people that left. There was like a mass exodus of a bunch of people that left the church on the same day because they were upset about that. And so then a couple of years later, there was another restoration or another revelation that said, never mind, you know, they just have to have the permission and all that. And they took that that away. And then there's been times when um, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, different prophets of the past said things that now are not canonized. They say that was never a doctrine. And yet it was taught as a doctrine at the time. Brigham Young said that Adam was was God. And mm-hmm. that was taught at the veil. And there are proofs of this in church printed books. And yet people, if you tell them that, they won't believe you because they they kind of throw them under the bus. Even at the last general conference, one of the speakers said something about how his comic books, uh, they they become more uh, worth, they have more worth as time goes on, but the past prophets don't necessarily. And it kind of felt like that's what they were trying to do of like, listen, just because it's been done before and been said before doesn't mean that that's what we believe now, which makes it really hard when, when you leave the church because you get gaslighted a lot. I have yes. people that tell mm-hmm. me that things that happened to me or that I learned are not true. And yet I right. saw them, I did them, I know that they were true. And so it does change a lot. I think that that point cannot be under or overstated. I should say I, that is something that I've noticed too. And even just, um, you know, my limited amount of research and having conversations with people who are either currently LDS or have left the church is the variation of teachings that Mm -hmm. people are taught, um, depending on their ward, depending on their leaders and their leadership, depending on their level of kind of what they are allowed to know. Um, even depending on, um, yeah, just there's so many factors. But what I what I want people to really hear in what you're talking about is this really ultimately what this comes down to is that um, God can change. God's yeah. word can change. And that is completely contradictory to the Christian Bible. Uh, Hebrews 13, 8 tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Malachi 3, 6 says, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Psalm 102, 27 says, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. Um, James 1, 17, every good good thing given and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Yeah, that was one of my favorite ones when I was studying this past couple of years. I mean, it's so insanely comforting to know that God, the one whom we worship, the one who is our king, who is our authority, who is our our truth giver, does not change. And so there is no shifting. There is no variation. There is no, hey, today, this is what I ask of you. And tomorrow, it could be something different. Um, Here's where the bar is now. And next week, the bar is going to be somewhere totally different. Uh, And we definitely have this idea in the progressive Christian church as well, like it's fair, you know, let's be fair that the progressive Christian church also views change and progress as a good thing. So this is not right. exclusive to Mormonism, but I just want to highlight how that's actually completely contradictory to scripture in both cases. Jesus is the same. Jesus is one with his father. God is the same forever. There is no right. changing. There is no variation. And scripture, praise God, is closed. And so you can't... um 
it is a protection for followers of of Christ that his word doesn't change and that we can measure things to it. And it is our ruler and our standard. And we can say, hey, this actually what you're saying totally goes against scripture. And I know that scripture hasn't changed. And I know that if your authority, if you contradict it, your authority is subservient to God's word. And so I don't have to, you know, I don't have to live in fear of whatever it is that you're you're saying. I want to tell you about another new sponsor, and that is Cami Monet. Have you seen the watercolor delights and paper and party goods from Cami Monet? They are your one-stop shop for gifting and parties. If you love stationery and all things bright and beautiful, you will love Cami's cute shop. She's a watercolor artist, so everything is her own unique design, and she has lots of other curated finds from other small makers as well. Whether you just need a sweet card for a friend or you're planning your next celebration, Cami Monet will help you make everything a little more fun with adorable party wear and pretty paper packed with personality. Their shop motto is make everything fun and they live by that every day. They are also proud to stand for life and 10% of every purchase goes to pro-life ministries, specifically to choicesfriends.com, her local pro-life pregnancy center. And Choices Women's Clinic was founded to give women considering abortion somewhere to go before they decide, to give them a choice based on truth and the highest standard of care and medical services. It's a place where people can find hope, care, and support, and ultimately find life through Christ. So I am super excited to partner with Cami Monet, and you can use the code KINDLED for 20% off your first order at CamiMonet.com. That is C-A-M-I monet m-o-n-e-t dot com and use the code kindled for 20 percent off your first order so okay i just yeah there's there's probably going to be a few parts in your testimony <laughs> where we want to dig into the actual doctrines um but let's go now to what happened after you got married to your second husband and you were in the church um you know s- supposedly excited and still very <laughs> devout in in hoping to kind of probably be with someone who would strengthen your faith? Like, where did that start to change? Well, as far as I, I did have some things happen in the temple that that put little seeds of not doubt necessarily, but well, actually it did. Uh, I was, I had a really bad experience in the temple the very first time I went through. And so we can get more into that or not. Um, yes. But please. I, okay. So we, when you go in for your endowment, what happens is you you go in for what they call an endowment. It means gift. And when you go through and you're learning all the things that they teach you in the temple uh, that are basically just like how you're supposed to get to the celestial kingdom. The first time you go through, you go through for yourself. And it's either usually either if you're getting married or if you're going on a mission. But there are exceptions if you're not doing either. And then after that, every time you go, you go through for someone who is dead already and you're using their name, you're pro- by proxy for them. And so w- when I went through, I didn't know what to expect. I knew that there were special clothes you had to wear because I had to buy them beforehand, but I didn't know anything that was going to happen because they don't tell you you're not allowed to talk about it outside of the temple. It's, uh, it's considered too sacred. And so when I went in, And I was very confused by there's handshakes and things like that, that I thought were kind of strange, but I, you know, I was just whatever. But then there was a part where they made you veil your faces. Again, this is one of those things I I talked about it that I've been gaslit on because people say we don't have to veil our faces because they don't anymore. But when I went through, you did. 
and I had to put that on. And then they have a prayer circle and they're, it's, they're praying. And I, and I, I hesitate to, I don't want to make it sound, you know, like I'm really being mean about it because it is a sacred thing to a lot of people, but to me, it felt like chanting and looking at it through a veil. I, my brain started screaming, this is a cult. And I started crying and I didn't know what to do because I felt like if I got up and left, which is what I wanted to do, that I wouldn't be able to marry my husband because I, his family, his whole family's there. Like everybody goes with you that can when you go through this. And so what are they chanting? Um, like it's, it's, they're saying, God, hear the words of my mouth. So mm-hmm. it, it, they're like chanting before they pray. So they're, they, they're doing a raising and lowering their arms and saying that over and over again. And then they pray. And it's supposed to be what Adam did when he would pray. And so you're basically, when you go through the temple, you're putting yourself into Adam and Eve's uh, shoes. Mm-hmm. So you're pretending to kind of be them. And so when that happened, I had both of my, my bishops that had worked with me up until I got married were there. My parents were there. If I, if I remember correctly, my grandma was there. One of my favorite cousins was there. Doug and his family were all there. And so when I, after you go through the whole ceremony, you go up to a bell that represents going through death. And if you're getting married and you're a woman, then they have your soon to be husband on the other side. He reaches through after I go through the the words that you're learning. Um, you have to say them to the person at the bell. And then he pulled me through, Doug did. And so it was, that was supposed to be representative of when I die and Doug calls me through for the resurrection. And so I come through with him and then we go into the celestial room, which is beautiful. The, the celestial rooms are always extremely beautiful, probably cost hundreds of thousands of dollars because there's always huge chandeliers, the best furniture. It's quiet. Everybody's in white. It's just so peaceful. Mm-hmm. And so I go in there and all of my family and people that are special to me that were able to be there were there and they're all smiling and happy. And so I pushed all those feelings down of like, there is something wrong with me. It, this is me, not the situation I'm in. I'm. Why would everybody else that I love and respect be okay with this if it wasn't okay? Mm-hmm. And so I had those feelings, but I put those to the side. I never really liked going to the temple. Um, after that, when we were married, we didn't go very often because one, I would always forget the things that you were supposed to say. And it made me mm-hmm. feel really stupid because I just was like, why can't I get this? Why can't I remember it? And since we're not supposed to talk about it outside the temple, I didn't feel like I could practice. And, uh, and then also I just, I, I always kept that feeling with me during that time. I didn't enjoy it. So we didn't go as often as I, as we were supposed to. And Mm -hmm. when we did go, they do have, I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to have a witness couple that would go up and be kind of in front of everybody. Like they were Adam and Eve and you kind of do what they do. They do it first. And I would never do that. I would never go to the prayer circle because I never wanted to be the people up there that freaked me out the first time. So that was always in the back of my mind. And then there were a few other little things like uh, we, we, we are taught that God told Adam and Eve that they shouldn't eat of the fruit, but then mm-hmm. told them that they needed to multiply and replenish the earth and that they couldn't do that unless they ate of the fruit, but they, but God didn't tell them that. And so it was like they had to disobey him in order to follow his commandments. And that never made sense to me. And but I, I I didn't realize at the time that it was not the truth for everybody, that it was mm-hmm. just an LDS doctrine, because I didn't remember that part from when I was a kid. It hadn't stood out to me. So I didn't I didn't think about it. And then I also always had a problem with polygamy. But again, I didn't know the depth of polygamy. So I just kind of 
push, push that aside. And then I was never really comfortable with the ideology of becoming gods, but again, pushed it to the side. Most people in the church call that putting things on your shelf. Mm -hmm. I've had bishops say, tell it, say it to me. I know other people have as well, where when you do ask them a question, they say, put it on your shelf. You just have to have faith. And mm -hmm. so a lot of people have shelves full of things in the church. Some people don't. Some people have never questioned anything and don't care. I know okay. that's how my in-laws are uh, because my husband went and talked to them a few weeks ago and they were like, well, we just never cared about those things because if, if it's true, then it doesn't matter. Mm. But a lot of us have shelves. And so that was, I was just putting these things up on my shelf and I'm not going to worry about them right now because mm. there's other things that are more important that I need to think about. And so when I first started questioning things, it was during COVID and it was because of how they were reacting to the global things that were happening. I didn't. I want to say one thing before you go into oh, that. Yeah about the, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having a delayed reaction to that. Um, as, as you were talking about just putting things on your, on the shelf, I thought about, you know, what we see so often happening right now in both the Christian church, even in the Mormon church and really any religious, uh, affiliation or organization is this idea of deconstructing and, yes. um, leaving the faith. Uh, because people say I was encouraged to just like have blind trust, blind mm -hmm. faith. And as they get older and as they realize, you know, there's things in the world that contradict their experience, what they were told, what they were, what they had believed as a child, as they see suffering or pain or evil, and it doesn't line up with what they believed about a good God. And they weren't given reasonings for that or explanation or how to think about that in, in their worldview. There is, that is often what you hear in these deconstruct deconstruction stories is, um, you know, ask questions. It's okay to doubt, doubt your doubts, you know, have all of these different, it's just doubt is cast in a very positive light. And um, what you do when as a church, you discourage people from asking questions and finding answers is you ensure that that's going to happen. You know, that there's going to be a large amount of people, which is probably why the church numbers have honestly dwindled so much. The right. Mormon church is losing people. Uh, there's a the huge ex-Mormon movement. Um, there's also the, you know, the deconstruction movement happening inside Christianity. But um, what I would say is the, the difference in how those, those two are approaching it, and Christians are not perfect at this by any means, churches need to grow in this, is not discouraging people from having questions or asking questions. Um, but yeah, ask your questions. There, there are answers. The Bible has right. answers. Church history has answers. There are thousands and thousands of versions of these manuscripts. There's reasons certain verses aren't put in certain translations because maybe they weren't in the earliest manuscripts. It's not as though, oh, scripture changed over time, you know, like this woo-woo conspiracy. And so I, I just want to say, like, it's good for people to ask questions and to entertain and to seek, you know, wisdom and, and wisdom from God and asking God, you know, help me understand this. And it's it's not as though we're always going to want to have 100% grasp of every theological doctrine. You know, something like, uh, you know, why do good thing, bad things happen to good people? There is an element of that, that it is, it is never going to fully make sense to us because yes, sin does happen. You know, terrible things do happen to people who are, you know, don't quote unquote deserve it or who don't haven't done anything to deserve losing a child, for instance, or um, just a tragedy. And yet we know that God's character is such that he is not the author of evil. 
that he does redeem those situations and circumstances in people's lives for those who are his own. Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I just think that that's, that's an interesting distinction there between, you know, how we should handle questions and doubts and how the, the Mormon church, the LDS church does that. Um, and, you know, this is a different part of the conversation, but you see that reflected in the way that Mormon influencers address questions of their faith. You see that reflected in, they just try and stay high level. They, you know, they put the link to the church website, just don't, you know, this is what I believe, go here, ask them. It's kind of, it's not, it, it's just like an absolution of responsibility, right? Yeah. ACBC stands for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Now, it will probably be no surprise to you that I am a big fan of ACBC. Our church has an ACBC counseling center, multiple certified ACBC counselors, and this organization is doing such good and important and necessary and God-honoring work in churches all across the country. Every Christian is a counselor. It's just a matter of being a skilled or unskilled one. ACBC exists to help fill churches with skilled biblical counselors that rightly understand and apply God's Word to the countless problems of life. Their certification process is designed to teach right theology and how to apply it in Phase 1 training and Phase 2 exams, and then requires counselors to put what they learn into practice in Phase 3 supervised counseling. There are hurting people all around us that need true hope and healing, which can only be found in Christ and the Bible. Visit biblicalcounseling.com today to start your journey to become the kind of counselor that God calls all believers to be. Learn more at biblicalcounseling.com. Yeah, and it's that's a huge thing. We We're not really allowed to ask questions. I mean, if you said that to somebody, they might say we're allowed, but it is discouraged. They they say all the time, doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Don't dig up and in, in doubt what you planted in faith mm. and don't rehearse your doubts with other doubters. Uh, a couple of years ago, the the current prophet of the LDS church called those of us that leave lazy learners. And so that was something that it makes you feel bad when you start questioning because you're like, oh, I'm mm. a lazy learner. And then I thought, no, I actually spend time in my scriptures and studying more than anyone I know in my family and friend group. And I've actually had current, very faithful LDS people in my family tell me that. They know that's true about me. But we are taught very much that if you start questioning, you're going to lose everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you if you leave this church, you have nothing. And so it is scary to doubt mm -hmm. because you you don't want to bring those things back off your shelf because you don't want to have to face it. And you you are afraid to know things that you don't know because you don't want them to affect your testimony. I've had people all the time say, you know, I don't want to know. I don't want to know what you've mm -hmm. learned because I don't want my testimony affected. Whereas mm -hmm. I think if it's going to affect your testimony, then shouldn't your testimony be affected? But mm -hmm. yeah, you're just, and I, that was something that really stuck out to me when I started uh, studying the Bible more, going to other Christian churches and, and like learning from, uh, from Christian leaders is that the opposite was said to me. I was told if you have questions, ask them. And if I don't know where to find the answer, I will find out where to find the answer and I will show you where to go, but tell me your questions. And I, that was the first time anybody had really ever said that to me. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll let you get back to your story. Sorry to interrupt there, but, um, no, that's good. So you were about to share 
kind of your kind of conversion experience, I think. Okay. Yeah. So with COVID at first, they, the LDS church towed the line so hard that it made me more scared. I, I did think this is the worst virus that's ever been. We're all going to, you know, be in so much danger from this because everything's closing. And why would mm-hmm. God close his temples when we need the temple work done so, so much? Why would the temples close for a virus that wasn't deadly? And so I, I just, I was really scared for a few months mm-hmm. and I had, a, I, I had a thyroid disease and so I was thinking I was high risk and I was really worried about it. And so that affected me mentally. And that is something I still have to reckon with because I'll start getting really anxious about stuff and then be like, okay, wait, it's been proven that it is not what they said it was. Calm down. And because those first few months I was in a constant state of, okay, how bad is this and all that. But I started noticing the progression of progressiveness in the LDS church. Mm-hmm. And I am very conservative and I always have been. And so it didn't make sense to me. I, I, I would look around at my, the ward we were in at the time. I, we started homeschooling uh, just a couple of years before COVID hit. And the ward went from friendly to hostile because people just didn't think that was okay. And also when I, when I was growing up, the stay at home mom homemaker thing was what you were supposed to be in the LDS church, but there has been a shift with that. And they'll still Mm -hmm. say that that's the ideal, but I, I hardly know any homemakers anymore that are stay at home moms. And so I was feeling very in the church. um, You're saying right now feeling very, what right. You're saying in in your community of friends or or acquaintances who are LDS, you barely know mm-hmm. any who are actually homemakers. Yes, like I I was raised that way. My mom was a stay at home mom. My sister was a stay at home mom. I am a stay at home mom. My sister in laws have not been on my side of the family. On my husband's side of the family, I am his mom stayed at home, but she's always busy with church work. But as far as all of the sister sisters and sister in laws on his side of the family, I am the only stay at home mom. And so it's it. a lot of people, some people are trying to find ways to do their work from home. And at first I thought, this is great. This is great that everybody feels like they can do what they feel called to do now. They don't feel like they have to do one thing. One thing isn't put above the other of you're only a true woman if you do this thing. I thought that was good. But then it kind of turned where people were looking down on me for not providing for the family too. And mm. that was a hard shift for me because I was like, wait a second this is what's been rewarded before. And I'm homeschooling my kids. I'm staying at home with my kids. I'm, you know, cooking for my family. I'm doing all these things. And yet people are treating me bad for it. This doesn't make sense. (laughs) And I was like, I, I'm going to, you know, be happy for you that you have the career that you want, or that your kids are in a private school or a public school that you love. But why aren't you showing me that same respect? And that was hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that was the smallest part of it. That was just kind of a, a side note of like, why is, why is what I do considered less than, mm-hmm. and then there was the LGBT movement. There was the black lives matter, the civil unrest. There were all these things happening. And I was looking around me and nobody was like me around me in that ward. And that was hard. So we did move during that time and that, but then churches were closed. So we didn't get to go to a new church, but I, I just started noticing that things church leaders would say and things people would say were becoming more and more progressive and it it kind of confused me and I was waiting for the churches to speak out against things like they used to and they weren't doing it 
And so that kind of followed me into 2021. And when 2021 happened, then the vaccine came out, the top members of the LDS church that I was talking about, they all got the vaccine and they didn't just get it. They did it publicly. And they, they said that they urged the, uh, the members to get it, that it was safe and effective, that it, it was the only way we were going to win this war on COVID. And so that really disturbed me. I felt like that they were relying more on the COVID vaccine than they were on God. And so again, that was another thing kind of put on my shelf, but it was bothering me. Mm-hmm. I started noticing that there was a a lot of globalist talk. Be good global citizens. Uh, they're going to global things and meeting with people that weren't necessarily great people, and or at least you know in my opinion. And then the in August of that year, they put out a letter urging all members to get the vaccine, and again said it's safe and effective. And I just broke down. I was crying all day because I I thought I am being treated badly by people. I'm being told that I'm not following the prophet. And I know it was happening to other people because I've heard people say it, but I was being told that I, Doug called his parents and I was talking to them and saying, I don't understand, you know, why they're saying this because aren't, isn't this supposed to be personal revelation, but now they're urging us to get it and people are treating each other bad. And they sent me a talk about, I can't remember the exact title, but it's something of the fundamentals of following the prophet. And so even from them, I felt like I was getting that. And so I was just in turmoil all of the time. And this is not something that is my normal. I, I was not like that at any other point in my life, even when I had questions, but I was just in turmoil constantly. And as you can imagine, with it being COVID time in 2021, I think everybody was to an extent. And so that was just one more level. And then uh, a girl that I have met at a homeschool convention. And so I followed her on Instagram. She posted a video from John MacArthur. I followed it. It's called providing shade for our children. And he was talking about the importance of the Bible and God. And he was talking about all of these social issues that were happening in the way that I wanted my leaders to speak. Mm -hmm. And so that sent me down a rabbit hole of just reading his talks, getting some of his books. I, I did go, I did uh, a, a Bible study online that was an LDS one. And the lady that ran it recommended the ESV study Bible. And we're, we've usually been told only use the King James. And so I was like, Oh, this gives me permission to do this because she is kind of high up. Everybody knows who she is. She does stuff with the church officials. Now she actually is in charge of all the young women in the church. And so I felt like her giving me that permission, I was able to. So I started, um, just gathering Bible things around me that were different than what I had done before. Mm -hmm. And so going into 2022, the church wide, come follow me. It's the, the scripture study. Everybody does. It's what you do in seminary, what they do in classes at church, what you're supposed to do at home with your family. Everybody follows the same scripture reading plan. And it was Mm -hmm. the old Testament. And so this is when that shelf I've had, I've been building for all those years finally started to crack because as I read the Old Testament, I had my King James version that I bought at Desert Book, the local church bookstore that had all the LDS footnotes and all of that in it. I had my Come Follow Me manual that's asking very shallow questions about what's going on and likening it to your family, ways to do that. And then I had my ESV study Bible that is delving into the history of the people, the all of the things that I didn't know, 
And then mm-hmm. I had a John MacArthur book called 12 Extraordinary Women that well, I was reading a chapter on Eve. And as I'm reading it, I realize there's stuff on this side of me that is really, really teaching me so deeply. And then this stuff over here that's just shallow. And I don't want to offend anyone by saying that, but that's how it felt. And I have heard other LDS people say the same thing. So I think that there are a lot of people that feel that way. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading it, I re- realized that the story in my mind of Genesis was not the Bible story because everything that I put into the story was from LDS scripture of Pearl of Great Price, the book of Moses and the book of Abraham, where Joseph Smith had in one of them, he had a revelation while translating the Bible and adding his Joseph Smith translation to it. He had a revelation about Moses and then he had some papyri that he bought with some mummies that he said he translated and that was the book of Abraham. And in these, it talks about how that's where the Adam and Eve, like that they couldn't have children in the garden. It's all of these different things that were in that first part of Genesis and Genesis one through 11 is besides the new Testament, my favorite part of the Bible because of the learning that I've done and the time I've spent in it the last few years. But I realized all of these things about becoming gods all of that stuff came from the mormon scripture Mm -hmm. not the bible and so as i was reading that and i was reading the john macarthur book i realized that they could have had children in eden in eden and and that what i had been taught wasn't true and it was like this veil opened up in my eyes or like i felt like a, a theater curtain is kind of how i described it and i knew in that moment that the book of abraham and the book of Moses were not scripture. And so that put a huge crack on my shelf because I realized how, how can I believe in this church if something that is a huge part of it is not true? But it also, my love for the Bible grew so much at that moment where I also wanted, I just wanted to be in it all the time and be hearing from God what he wanted me to hear. And so that really changed my life in that way, in that moment. And during this time, I also went through one of the hardest things I've ever gone through, which was I found out I had cancer and it was thyroid cancer. Um, Thankfully, we caught it really early. And so all I had to do was have surgery to get it out and I didn't have to do radiation or chemo or anything. But I, because it was COVID time, I had to be alone. And so that was why it was the hardest. I had to be in the room by myself and find out by myself and all of that. And nobody Mm. could, you know, even Doug couldn't be there with me. And so during that time, I remember coming home and just thinking I was going to be a mess, but I came home and I sat on my couch and I had an inexplicable amount of peace. Mm. And I feel like it's because of what I was going through and learning at that time, because I felt so much closer to God than I had felt in years. And so through the the couple of weeks up until my surgery and then in my recovery, I just kept learning and I had a lot more time. I had to, we were still homeschooling throughout this, but I, I was taking it a lot easier and I, I spent so much time reading books. (laughs) Just, I mean, I am a reader anyway. I read a lot of books, but I, I was just so much in the word, so much in theological books, learning from people that I had never even knew existed before. Ken Ham, John MacArthur, uh, Sproul, Spurgeon. And so there was a lot of time spent in those things and that helped me get through that time. Mm. And so then when, when I'd recovered, it was basically making a decision, am I going to get this vaccine or not? And I knew I didn't want to. I, 
I knew it wasn't right for me. I knew it wasn't right for my daughters. My husband did end up getting it because his work and he really didn't feel anything either way. So he just got it and everybody else in my family got it. And I had friends that were getting it. And I knew people that had family members that died from it. And I knew people that had myocarditis from it. And so I just, I, I looked around and I thought, how is it that all these people are getting hurt from it? And I knew it wasn't the right thing, but the leader of my church didn't. And so that was just kind of the, the crack became the break. And I, it did go on from there. Uh, we visited the Ark and the Creation Museum in Kentucky. And we visited at the same time some church history sites. And I, when I was at the Creation Museum, I felt just, I, I don't even know how to describe it. And, and if you're LDS, you would say I, would feel, I felt the spirit. That's how, how you would explain mm -hmm. it. But it's, it just felt right. And I felt like I was learning the right things. And then I went to the church sites and I thought, okay, I'm going to feel the spirit there. And then I'll know. And then I'll, I'll stop all this stuff that I'm mm -hmm. thinking. Because even though I was kind of already getting out of it, I just, I was still trying to hold on to it. And I, when I got to one called Far West in Missouri, I was walking around where this temple was supposed to be built. And my mom was doing, looking at things. My kids were running around and I just started praying. And I was praying the whole time I was walking around there. And I was saying, you know, God, if, if this is true, I need you to tell me. I hear mm -hmm. about people saying that you do this. You've got to tell me because I don't feel like it is. And, but I also don't want to be going against you. I want to do the right thing. All I care about is truth. I don't care about right. what I think. I just want truth. And I just felt empty. Mm. And so we went to the next place, Adam on Diamon, which is supposedly where Jesus will come again with Adam at the end times. And it's supposed to be where just, Adam and Eve came out of the garden. And it's just down the road from me in um, Independence, Missouri, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Very mm -hmm. close. It's to like there. 30 minutes away. Yeah. And it is a beautiful place. They've preserved it. The church owns the land. So you can go there. And I felt like I'll, that's where I'll feel something because I've been in Genesis. I've been learning all this stuff. If this is where Adam and Eve dwelt, I will feel it. And I didn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so we left, we came home. I got to interject. And the night that I got home, I, oh yeah, sorry. So before you, before you tell that part, you know, when you just said a, a few seconds ago, the LDS would call that feeling the spirit. Um, yes. what you felt at the creation museum, which I went there yeah. in February. It's amazing. I felt the same way. Um, yeah. the funny thing is that's also what Christians would say. We would also say, uh, the spirit gave me a confidence. The spirit, uh, was, you know, was just confirming or was affirming that God's word it is true or that, wow, you know, it's amazing to see scripture come alive before your very eyes through, the exhibits and just seeing like, oh my goodness, there's so much evidence. It's amazing. Like I felt the spirit all the way through that museum, a hundred percent. It We would say the same thing. So what's okay. interesting is that we have the same vocabulary, but different, mm -hmm. uh, we have a different dictionary yes. from LDS, right? So we don't mean the same thing by saying the spirit. We, we, we're not talking about the same spirit. We're talking about different spirits, right? They would say, the spirit, meaning, you know, whatever spirit they would attach to God. And we're saying the Holy Spirit as scripture defines him. So even though the language is the same, the dictionary, the meaning behind the words is different. And so, and we also would say, 
um, my feelings do not dictate truth, right? So mm-hmm. I, so my feeling about the creation museum is actually irrelevant. If, if I feel that it's not true, well, I have to submit ultimately to what God's word says and my feelings need to submit to that. Um, yeah. but what I'm just getting at is that when, you know, we would, we might talk similarly about quote unquote, the spirit, um, but actually mean totally different beings, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's something that's actually been really hard for mm-hmm. me and for my kids and for my husband too, of knowing exactly what is theological and sometimes in things we say because yeah. of that, yeah. because he, my husband will come to me sometimes and say, you know, what, what about this thing? Mm-hmm. And do we believe this still? <laughs> and I'm yeah, like, yeah. So I always have to yeah. tell him, well, you have to decide what you believe, Doug, but I, you know, and, and it's hard. It's hard sometimes to be like, well, this is something that is there's so much emphasis put on it. Mm-hmm. And in LDS theology, the feeling, the spirit is something that is really, really, really prevalent mm-hmm. in almost daily life all day long. And okay. almost every decision is based on your feelings. Okay. And so that was something I've had to go with my kids and say fact over feelings all the right. time. Right. We, we say that all the time. And I'm like, right. everything takes a level of faith. Mm-hmm. Believing in the Bible takes a level of faith. However, we have all this archaeological evidence. We have yeah. people that weren't even Christian that talk about Jesus. So we know he was a real person. Mm-hmm. And so then we can take the rest on faith, but we have some facts. And so that's something that's been easier for them in the transition. Mm-hmm. But it, it is hard to go from relying only on your feelings to also knowing that you that your feelings can lie. And that's, yes. that's been a hard transition for all of us. Totally. That makes so much sense. And you know, I, I think that that's hard for a lot of Christians because we want to not swing so far to one, to one ditch, right? We don't want to swing to the hard line of feelings are irrelevant. They don't matter. Deny your feelings. Don't care about feelings. Feelings are nothing. Well, God, God made us as sensing feeling people for a reason. My pastor says that feelings are dashboard indicators. They're like the barometer on the car that's telling you, is it hot or cold? They are indicators of what's beneath the hood, but they are not truth. So our our feelings can deceive us. Our feelings can lie. Like our feelings can be in line with with God God's word or opposed to it. Our feelings can be sinful, um, or you know God glorifying. We can have you know, and the world will tell you no feeling is wrong and bad. And it's like it, I think we have to be careful there. It's like we're not saying that it you don't feel what you feel. We're saying that. What absolute truth says is that sometimes I'm actually indulging in a sinful feeling of envy or jealousy or rage mm-hmm. or slothfulness or lust. Like I can have feelings that are sinful. It doesn't right. mean I don't have them. It means I need to submit them to what God's word says. And so it's like, we're not trying to be guided by them. We are trying to ultimately bring them into alignment with what his word says. And that's what it means to be being sanctified and made more like Christ every day growing in the knowledge of who he is, his character, what his word says, you know, I, what I want is not to just be doing his will or following the law out of a rote, um, sense of duty, but because it's what I want to do. Um, So it's like, my prayer is God help me want to read your word every day. Help me want to pray and be in communication with you and talk to you and share what I'm struggling with and ask for help. You know, I want my feelings to be in line with what you ask me and tell me to do. And so um, it's less of like, 
you know, uh, just this more charismatic interpretation of, you know, do you feel the spirit here tonight? Like, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for the spirit is here because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's in each of us. I don't have to go looking for him like, God, come. Are you going to are you going to descend on me tonight here in this place? No, he it. the word tells me he is here. He is present. And so how do I live in light of that fact? You know, um, so anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but I just think it's definitely like you said, that's a hard area, um, I'm sure, to to discern and kind of decipher through. Um, but one that you will continue to grow, yeah. in, you know, as you as you build that knowledge of what God's word says and and continue to to just um you know grow in your faith. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, it's it definitely will be it's gonna be a process. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody leaves the LDS church overnight, even if right. even if you have an experience that is overnight. You you it yeah. it sticks with you for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so you're constantly having to relearn everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's true. Probably in uh, most other religions, you know, especially when people are are devout in their faith, like even yeah. with Islam, you know, I've heard conversion stories like the the guy Neil Neil um, Qureshi, I think maybe is his name from he wrote uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Like he did actually, Jesus revealed himself to Neil in a dream and in a vision, and. And so he did have an instantaneous realization that like, this is the true God, this Jesus Christ of, you know, the Christian Bible. And I mean, he had never read the Bible. So like Jesus did reveal himself to Neil in that moment and he believed and yet he had to disentangle as Ginger Volo talks about his false beliefs, his errant teachings that he had been raised with from the truth. And that is a long process and it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Like you said, yeah. Okay, so back to your story. Yeah. You were saying that night okay. something happened. Okay, yeah. So when I came home, I I just knew something had to change. I couldn't keep going the way I had been going of, okay, I don't believe this thing and this thing and this thing. And I have all these other things on this shelf, but I still am holding on to this religion. Mm-hmm. And so earlier when I had started feeling the things I was feeling about the book of Abraham. I had just got on and Googled book of Abraham because I, when I would read it, I felt very dark and it felt so different than when I read the Bible. And it just was a bad feeling. And I kept telling my husband that of, I don't feel good when I read this. And it it was, it was just such a weird feeling. And so I went on and I Googled it and I found this thing called the CES letter, which a man that was questioning a lot of things in the church, his grandfather knew somebody in the church education system, which is seminary and in charge of different church education. And he said, tell him all your questions and I'll get him to answer them for you. So he wrote this letter. He did not get the answers. And so he made it public. And one of the things in it was about the book of Abraham. And it talked about how once the church had back the papyri that he had supposedly translated the book of Abraham from that all Egyptologists, LDS and non LDS all agree that there is nothing about Abraham in it. It's a common funeral, uh, funeral text that would be buried with the mummies, which makes sense because he bought them with mummies. And I was like, this can't be true. There's no way that's true. That's not what I was taught. And so I went to the church website and I looked it up and found an area that's hard to find but it's called the gospel topics essays. They kind of wrote them in response to his, his public letter. And one of them is about that and found out it was true. Everything he said was true. 
And now they're just saying it was probably just a, a revelation that holding the papyri that he had a revelation. But of course, if you go into the history, he believes he translated. He told everybody he translated it. But they're saying, well, he might have thought that, but it was probably a revelation. So I I wanted to read more. And so when that night when we came back, I went on and I found the rest of his CES letter and read all of it. And then I went onto the church website and I read all of the gospel topics essays. Then I went to a gospel topic section where it's just there's a, a list of alphabetical topics and you click on it and it will tell you things about it I did that and then I went in the handbook and went to places that interested me so I basically stayed up almost the whole night reading almost the whole church website and by the time morning came I I knew I didn't believe in it anymore and because I learned things that I didn't know just from that but also things that I didn't believe that the church believed including a like they don't believe in evolution, but they don't take a stance on it. And so a lot of people do believe in it. And I, I found that after being at the Creation Museum and the Ark, I'm very convicted on these the six days of creation. And I found that that was not the church's stance. And so <laughs> by the morning, I just was like, I'm done. And I, I stopped wearing the garments that you wear after you go through the temple. That was a huge deal because everybody you know in the LDS church will have a story of someone they know that was in a fire and they didn't get burned where their garments covered or they were in an accident and they didn't get hurt where their garments covered or something like that and so you feel like not only are they as the church website would tell you it's an outward reflection of your inward covenants that you've made and a way to, to help you to be modest because you don't want it to be shown um it also is in culture it's something that you feel is a protection. And I took them off and I was scared. <laughs> and I did have that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I hope nothing bad happens to me. And mm -hmm. later on when my husband did the same thing, he had the same feeling. So I think that that's a common thing. But mm -hmm. I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I, I know that I don't believe in it. And I didn't know what to do though. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody about it or I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. Okay, I know this is fascinating, but this is where I have to cut it off because uh, the rest of the conversation is what Lynn did once she realized that she no longer believed in the Book of Mormon, in the teachings of the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so that is the second part that you will get next week. I hate to divide it up because I know I love binging episodes, but... I'm going to save that one for next week because uh, it is another full hour, okay? So a whole other hour of testimony. And in that episode, we will discuss Mormon influencers and that whole piece of the puzzle, what I discussed on Instagram, and really breaking down what they believe, how it is different from biblical Christianity, and kind of talking about um, the belief system as a whole. So come mm -hmm. back next week here on Kindled for the second half of my conversation with Cheryl. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for being part of this and engaging with me. I have truly, seriously enjoyed covering this topic. It's so fascinating and it has helped me so much in understanding what are the cruxes of the issue? What is, what is really the singular crux of the issue between, uh, LDS and biblical Christianity? And it is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It, it always comes down to the gospel. Do you actually know what the true gospel is? Um, and I just absolutely love getting to that point and being able to understand that this is where the conversation has to begin 
really for us to to even have a meaningful and, and helpful conversation. There's so many things we can talk about that we can find differences or similarities in, but do you understand who the biblical Jesus is and what he did for you? Because that's that's what salvation hinges on. And so that is really where um, we need to focus our efforts in evangelism and, and really understanding that we have similar vocabulary, even identical vocabulary for a large part, but different dictionaries. And so getting to the place where you can ask people, what do you mean by Jesus? Which Jesus? Who is the Jesus that you follow? Tell me about him. What? Who is he? Is he the brother of Satan? <laughs> like who, where are you getting that idea of the, of Jesus. And so anyway, I could go on, but um, this has been awesome. I can't wait to share with you next week's episode. In the meantime, come find me on Instagram at Haley.Kindled. Uh, if you're new to this conversation, you can scroll through three highlight bubbles full of content and stories on the whole influencer thing and a whole lot else. So, all right, I'll see you guys next week. Bye.